We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. The season of Advent, what does that mean? When we hear the song, we see the Advent calendar. I knew more about Advent calendars than about Advent because I know you get chocolate behind each window. Right? But Advent is actually means looking forward. It means waiting. It's, it's anticipation. It's looking for something to happen. And, um, and it's about looking forward to the coming of Jesus. And it's interesting that, that Christmas falls on December 25th. We know that. And that, that date, we don't know if really if it's when Jesus was born or not. But we celebrate it on that day for a couple of reasons. And one reason is in the Northern Hemisphere, it's the winter solstice. So it's the darkest time of the year on about the 23rd or 21st and then it starts the light starts to appear so it's chosen because at the darkest time of the year a light was coming and that light was Jesus and we're reminded about things like Isaiah 60 did I give you this Isaiah 60 I don't think I did did I I'm sure you might have heard this arise shine for your light has come the glory of the Lord has risen on you, for behold, darkness covered all the earth, a thick darkness on all those people. But the, the Lord arises upon you, his glory shall be seen upon you, and all nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. This is what Advent's all about. It's looking forward to Jesus, and you, you hear words like joy, hope, love, and peace, and, and different traditions celebrate it in different ways. Um, but we're going to start to look at that, at that whole leading up to Christmas and the different, I suppose, the different messages of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today, and I pray as I speak that you might speak to us, Lord. Take these mere words and, and Spirit of God, I pray you'll give them life to each person. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when the angels appeared... Um, in the fields, they came with an announcement. We bring you good news of great joy. I'm sure we've heard that. Great joy to all people. The Saviour, yes, Messiah, the Lord, has been born in Bethlehem. And the, the Gospel of Jesus begins with an announcement. And the announcement is a message of hope. It's good news, great joy. Not good news just because a baby's born. You know, a baby, we've got a new baby here, and it's good news that a baby's born. But it wasn't just about the birth. It was about the whole thing coming into fruition. It's all those things that have been promised was, was coming to earth now. And um, it's about the whole gospel of Jesus. Now, it's important for us to remember that the gospel isn't good advice. It's not advice for you to take. It's not good counsel. It's not, oh, this is how you should live. It's, a, it's like it's front page of the newspaper. It's something that has happened. It's an announcement. God has come. And uh, something that's already actually been done. That's what the gospel is. It's an announcement. And the challenge for us is how do we respond to that? Which, what, what has happened? And the angels didn't say, I'll bring you a message about what you need to do. They said, I'll bring you tidings of great joy. And the Old Testament 
in the Bible points towards the hope of Jesus. He's coming, there's a hope. And the birth of Jesus is the good news that it's all, what has been promised, what has been prophesied is all happening at this point in time. And uh, the birth of Jesus isn't about morals. It's not, oh, what's the moral of Christmas? To live in peace. That's not the point of Christmas, although that's a good thing to do. It's not the moral of Christmas. It's the good news about what God has done for us, an announcement. So let's get it clear that our salvation isn't about good advice. It's not something we try to wrestle with, try to, something we try to obey. It's good news to be believed. And uh, the, the Christmas story is about how God came to save us. A saviour has been born, no longer the burden of trying to measure up a saviour has been born. It's not just a poetic statement. It's actually an announcement of something that has happened. He came to stay, stand in our place, deal with sin, defeat death, make us right before God. That's the good news. So Christianity isn't about self-improvement. Hopefully you will get improved. It's not a self-improvement course. It's not just about inspiration. It's the message of Christmas is we need a saviour and a saviour has been born. We can't do it ourselves. God has intervened. And you don't become a Christian. It's not to turn over a new leaf in life. It's about believing good news. Now we find that Matthew, Matthew is the first book in the, in the New Testament called the Gospels. He introduces the birth of Jesus in a very unusual way. Genealogies. Who's into them? Genealogies. Who do you think you are? You know, all those sorts of things. And this person begat that person. Who begat that person? Who's ever, come on, be honest, who's ever read the Bible, got to the genealogies and just skipped over that part? Yeah. Me too. And the Bible gives Jesus two genealogies, one in Matthew and one in Luke, and they're slightly different from two different perspectives. And uh, they reveal different things. But Matthew was written especially for, to the Jewish people. I mean, it's, it's got that sort of lean on it where, where it's got so many quoted scriptures from the Old Testament and it's really focused towards the Jews. And they're right into the whole genealogy thing. And we're going to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Here it is. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. How are you going with this? You got this? Taking notes? Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of... Amimadad. That's not a bad name. Amimadad was the father of Nashon, and Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon, whose mum, mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And it goes on and goes on. Let's go down to verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, 
the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Verse 17. So those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. 42 generations are recorded. And uh, so Matthew doesn't start Christmas with the nativity scene. There's no star here at the moment, no wise men, no shepherds, no angel. He begins with this long genealogy with some interesting names. Who's going to call their son Salmon next? <laughs> Come on, biblical names are in. Lift the bar for the next one, you guys. Come on, we want some rubber ball or something like that. And we can lose patience easily with genealogies. And, but the Christmas story isn't just about Jesus coming. God had planned what happened before to set up the good news. And the gene- genealogies tell us something about the good news of Christmas. Um, for instance, the story of Christmas doesn't start with once upon a time. You know, like Star Wars or the storybook, Once Upon a Time in a Galaxy Far Away, when you don't know if it's real, if it's just a story, it actually puts it in a place in history, sets it in history. It may have, you know, Once Upon a Time is, or it may have happened, it may not have happened. Um, It's not Once Upon a Time. It's documented family by family by family. It's grounded that Jesus was actually born at this time, in this place, at this certain moment, and you can check out the archaeology, you can confirm it, it's, it happened. And gene- genealogies are a big deal in the Jewish mindset. And, you know, in the culture at the time, uh, it was a di- different culture to us. We're not recognised by your, how smart you were, your degrees or your work or your accomplishments. It was all about your family, what, what tribe you were in, your, your pedigree, your clan. And there was a guy at the moment at that time called King Herod, you might have heard of him, nasty fellow. He actually officially went back in his genealogy and purged out the ones he didn't want. He did. Rewrote the story so he looked better. That's how, that was the mindset of the day. And uh, because the purpose of a genealogy was to impress the onlookers with the high quality and the respectability of your background. But Matthew doesn't do that. He does the opposite. He doesn't try to impress. His genealogy is a message of hope. And for instance, you know, you might have noticed there was five women in that genealogy that I read just in those first few verses. And to us, that's not unusual to see the women listed in there. But in this ancient patriarchal society, it virtually never happened unless you had to do it. Um, let alone five of them. You'd never hardly see one of them. And three of those women mentioned are Tamar, Rahab and Ruth. And they were Canaanites and Moabites. They weren't even Jewish people. And uh, they were called unclean nations, not even allowed in the tabernacle, radical outsiders. And usually you would have hidden that. Okay, And another thing, by naming these women, Matthew, when the reader's reading it, as soon as you name a person, you recall their story. And so there's some pretty sordid and nasty events in this, in this history. For instance, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose name was Tamar. It sounds sweet, doesn't it? 
Tamar tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her because Judah had been unjustly to her. And so this was born in an act of incest. Okay? Matthew includes them just to remind the readers, hey, this happened. Don't tell anyone about it, we'd probably say, but he's broadcasted it. And Rahab, oh, Rahab's nice. Oh, she's, she's the Canaanite prostitute. Oh, that one. Yeah, that one. And interesting character. And then he mentions King David, which is good. You want a king in your genealogy. We all love it when there's some royalty in there. But Matthew adds that he's the father of Solomon. Oh, and whose mother was Uriah's wife. Her name was Bathsheba. He makes sure you know that. And when David was running from Saul, he had these mighty men around him. And Uriah was one of those mighty men. But years later, David becomes king. He wanted Uriah's wife. He slept with her, arranged to have Uriah killed. That baby died, but the next baby born to that alliance was Solomon. So this story is listed in here as well. So in this genealogy, we've got dysfunction, we've got some adultery, we've got a, few, a couple of prostitutes, murder, incest, relationships, cultural outsiders, radical outsiders. It's not looking too good. It's not something you broadcast. Um, people who were excluded in the culture acknowledges as Jesus' ancestors. You know, what does it mean? Well, one thing it means is their hope for anyone who's excluded by society, who's got stuff in their history, who think they're on the outer. Even those who are excluded by the mosaic laws, you know, were included, were welcomed, were celebrated. See, Jesus came to turn things upside down. Hope for all. And uh, in ancient times, people were considered unclean, you know, were hidden away. And um, yeah, if someone was unclean, you weren't allowed to touch them, were you? Because their uncleanness was contagious and you become unclean. Jesus flipped it. He touched the unclean and instead of becoming unclean, they became clean. It's like he infected them the wrong way. It's like something changed. He turned the whole system upside down. He reversed it. His righteousness was contagious. I like that. Touch Jesus in your unclean state and you become clean. That's awesome. That's why, you know, he embraced the lepers that no one was allowed to touch. Even dead people, he wasn't supposed to touch them. You're unclean. But Jesus, somehow, he just reversed the whole thing. In this genealogy, you've got kings and you've got the worst. It's not the good are in and the bad are out. Everyone is acknowledged by the grace of God. Kings, prostitutes, male, female, all different races, moral, the immoral, they're all embraced, all accepted because of Jesus. Despite your history, your failings, your status, your culture. And the good news of this genealogy is God is not ashamed of us. We're his family. Despite your hang-ups, despite your history, despite your failings. Hebrews 2 verse 11. We've got that. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and his sisters. I like that. It's not a shame. It's not a shame. And we'd stay here and say, Daryl, 
you are my brother. Diane, you are my sister. And that's despite what football team we barrack for, whatever it might be. Or despite what's happening in our life. And another side to this, you know, many cultures even now and social groups now encourage sort of to embrace certain parts of society and look down on other sorts. It happens. Somehow they congratulate themselves for their superiority. Uh, it's to do with often to do with class or race or the amount of education, political views, um, different cultures. Jesus was radically different. He turned it upside down, he embraced all. Despite where they came from, who they looked like, where, where they were in that pegging of society. And as you look at these genealogies, it reminds us that it, the promise took a lot long time to come to pass there's 42 generations there and that that needs to be in, an encouragement for you because god has not forgotten you god it's taking so long it took 42 generations and um even when this was sort of written around that time for there's between the old testament and the new testament there's about 400 years of silence no no prophets or anything like that and it's like god is what have you gone You've forgotten us. And um, it was a time of silence, of darkness, if you like. And, and I want to remind us that you can't judge God by your calendar. He didn't rock up at this time and this place, so therefore he mustn't be or he doesn't care. You can't judge God on your calendar. He might appear slow, but he never forgets his promises. And he doesn't operate to our time frame and our agenda. But... He always comes through when he needs to and his timing is perfect. And some of you might need to remind yourself of that. Uh, some, of, some of us thinking, well, I know God keeps his promises to me, but I don't keep my promises to him. Anyone ever dedicated everything for God at the altar and then went home and then just sort of took some things up again? I cast my cares upon you so I can take them up later. I think we all do that, don't we? There's good news in this genealogy for those who have failed him as well. And I'm glad about that. In, in verse 2 it says, Jacob was the father of Judah. Why was Jacob the father of Judah listed? Because Jacob lied and deceived his father, Isaac, to get the firstborn inheritance. What? It should have been his brother Esau in there. And because of that, Jacob fractured his family, turned Esau against him, became a fugitive. He met Rachel and Leah. Oh, yeah, he wanted to marry Rachel, ended up marrying Leah. He wanted to Yet Jesus came through Leah, by the way. And we got this story. Jacob got it heaps wrong. And he suffered because of his choices. He, you know... When we make bad choices, there's consequences. But we find that God was greater than his dysfunction. God was greater than his sin. God is greater than his mistakes. And even somehow God used all those events, all that deception and mess and sin to bring about his promises. So there's hope for those of us who are messed up. Some of us think, well, I, you know, I must be out of the will of God. I just done, 
I did all these things and I can never get back there. No, you can't out-trick God, out-manoeuvre God. Of course, we need to obey and, you know, we can... um, There's principles of the blessing of God, but God's grace is bigger than our mistakes. God's uh, grace is bigger than our sin. And uh, we need to know with God there's no second best. No one is disqualified because of their failings. The message of Christmas, the good news, is a message of hope. If it seems like God has forgotten you, he never forgets. God is faithful. And at the end of the genealogies, I only read a a portion of them. There's a lot more, probably some more stories in there. It all rests with Jesus. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. The Messiah, the King, the Anointed One, the Saviour. I'm going to read Isaiah 9, verse 6. Gabby read it from Isaiah. I'm going to read this from the Message Bible. For a son has been born, for us. The gift of a son, for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Wholeness. You, you say, oh, that might, that's supposed to be Prince of Peace. The word is Shalom. Actually, it means everything is right. It's wholeness, Shalom. Wholeness. You know what the word Shalom means? If you've got a fence and a rock's missing, it hasn't got Shalom, but you put the rock back in, it's Shalom because it's complete. That's what Shalom meant. It meant completeness, wholeness. That's why the, it means peace. So this translation it brings a good slant on it. Wholeness in life. You know, uh, at the beginning of the Gospels, there's a guy who, who sort of, I sometimes wonder what, what he's like, John the Baptist. And he seems like this is the crazy guy. You know, that one guy who's sort of living out in some little hut by himself, wearing camel skin, eating locusts and honey, you know. Most of us wouldn't go near him. And um, he's come to prepare people for Jesus. And sometimes we think he's a wild guy, you know, don't know what he's going to say. One of those people, you don't give the mic to John the Baptist, he, he might go crazy. But we often, we just pick up what he was saying to the Pharisees, because they, and the Sadducees, they came out to see him. They never did things together, but they came out to see John the Baptist together because they knew what he was preaching was uh, it could threaten where their positions. So he looked at them and he called them up, you brood of vipers, how dare you come up here? And he really got stuck into them. But that wasn't his main message. His main message was repent for the kingdom of God is near. Now sometimes we think he said Repent because doomsday is coming. He didn't say that. He's saying, repent, get ready, turn around because God is coming. He was getting ready for Jesus. Their repentance wasn't about, you know, it wasn't about judgment. It was about getting ready. Repent because the kingdom of God is near. Something's coming. Get ready. And uh, change your thinking. God's, the light of God's love is coming. And when John the Baptist sees Jesus came, he says, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
What a statement. I don't think we understand the power of that. There's a Lamb of God who's dealing with everything that's between us and God. Takes it away, removes it, removes the obstacles, removes the barriers, our chains. We're all part of our family, his family. We're all accepted. Repent for the kingdom of God that is near. I think that's a good message for Christmas. Repent means to change your thinking, change your mind, and look afresh because Jesus is close. His kingdom is close. So whatever your background, you belong. There's hope for you. Whenever you make mistakes, there's hope for you. Whatever your family history, there's hope for you. You belong. Whether you feel it or not, you belong. Jesus knows your past, your struggles, your disappointments. There's hope for you. He's got it covered. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and his sisters. I wonder if we can take a moment just to... Thanks, Jess. Uh, I, I just felt those words of John the Baptist. Usually I don't think about him around Christmas. But he's right in that story, those first few chapters, every time, the beginning of Jesus, John the Baptist. It's not right when he was born, but it's the... In, the introduction, and it was repent because the kingdom of God is near. So I, th- I think for us, maybe we just need to, okay, I need to change my thinking, change my focus, change my steps, look, look afresh to Jesus. Because even though we're coming up to the Christmas season, it's the, it's the symbol of God coming. And God is here. And so, Lord, we might need... We, we refocus our, our hearts, Lord. Perhaps other things have caught our attention. We've been looking to the wrong things for our inspiration, for our fulfilment. Perhaps we've been, you know, wandering down wrong paths. We take a moment just to refocus on the saviour of the world who came, who, who embraces all despite what's been happening in our life. We look to you, we know you're near. In fact, one of the words around Christmas, Emmanuel, God is with us. And we know from that moment, you've always been here on the earth, but from that moment you are with us in a completely different way. Your Holy Spirit is here in the midst of each one of us, in the midst of your church, Lord. And Lord, we make those, those um, adjustments in our heart. Sometimes it's a, a 180-degree turn. Sometimes it's just a five-degree adjustment where we focus on our Saviour. Lord, I pray for those who might have lost hope for whatever reason. Lord... Um, because things have happened. Those who, who may think that God has forgotten me, the promises aren't there. Lord, I pray you renew hope. God is not um, slow to keep his promises. He will in his timing. And Lord, we thank you for that. We put our hope not in our own abilities, not in our own um, resolve, Lord, We'll put our hope in Jesus. 
We look to that good news. A saviour has been born and we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, over these next weeks coming up to Christmas, Lord, I pray we'll see Jesus in fresh light. That these terms we see around Christmas, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, hope, joy, faith, um, hope, joy and peace, they just won't be things on a poster or in a decoration, Lord, but they'll come to new life, Lord. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see what has happened because of the good news of Jesus. We thank you in your, name, your wonderful name, Lord. Thank you that each of us could be in that genealogy. Thank you that you're not ashamed to call us your family. In Jesus' name, amen.